want to talk to you about hope this morning. I, I felt like that was the, uh, the message last night when I was just praying and seeking the Lord about what we should share this morning. I had so many um, things going on in my mind. And, and in first service, uh, every single person shared about hope, which um, second service you need to really get connected to God. The right theme going on. That was a joke. Sorry. Um, but uh, how many of you know that faith sees, hope feels, and love never fails? Faith sees, hope feels, and love never fails. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, you'll know this well. But now faith, hope, and love abide in these three, but the greatest of these is love. I, I want to read you something I wrote actually about faith a couple of days ago on my faith, Facebook post. And I want to talk to you about hope, but I really want to, I really want to begin with dis, distinguishing the difference between hope and faith and how actually faith comes out of hope. But I wrote this in the, in the world, seeing is believing. Yet in the kingdom, believing is seeing. Faith is not the absence of facts. It's the presence of conviction. There's actually no such thing as blind faith because faith sees what is not yet visible. Um, let me just say that again. There's actually no such thing as blind faith because faith sees what is not yet visible, hopes for what is not yet viable, and trusts long before someone is reliable. Faith is the bridge between what is and what will be. It is the road to recovery and the pathway out of poverty. Faith is not, mind, is not a mindless exercise in futility, but it is the spirit-led adventure into heavenly habitations. The question isn't, do you have faith, but where is your faith? Where do you store it? Everyone has faith, but if they don't invest it in the infinite one, they spend it on finite solutions that lead to sober resolutions. Faith, uh, fear, fear is faith in the wrong God. Fear is the expectation of a negative outcome, the dread of something going awry, the sense of being out of control. But faith in God produces the fruit of the Spirit, which includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I, I want to talk to you a little bit about faith and, I, and, and about hope. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Everybody say, hoped for. The conviction of things not yet seen. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And in Hebrews uh, 11, it goes on to say, that it's talking about people of faith, men and women of faith. And it says this, it says, and all these, in, uh, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, everybody say seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. I want to just highlight this one part. And all these died in faith without receiving what was promised, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. And I want to begin by saying this, that faith sees what is not yet visible. Faith sees what is not yet visible. So it says that these men and women of faith, they, they didn't receive what was promised. And it goes on to say 
because their promises are in us, all of us. We'll talk about that in another session. But it says they didn't receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it from a distance. Are you with me? And the difference between faith and hope is that it, hope feels. Hope is the, is, the, is the expectation that something good is about to happen to me. Are you with me? Faith sees it. Hope feels it. Now, how many of you understand that you, you don't, that you don't, you don't see it until you anticipate it? Faith is the earnest expectation that God is about to do something powerful in me, even though I can't see it and I don't know what it is. <laughs> and the Hebrew word for faith means to expect, to wait expectantly. The Greek word means to wait with anticipation, usually with pleasure. In other words, hope is what gets me out of my off my couch and onto the front porch so that I begin to see. Hope is what says, I need to be looking for something because I anticipate, I expect with great pleasure that something powerful is about to happen to me, but I haven't got a clue what it is. Hope gets me off my couch and onto the front porch and faith sees what it is that I've been feeling. Faith sees it. Hope feels it. How many of you have ever been hopeless in your life? Not fun. Lamentations 3 verse 21 says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Jeremiah is, is saying that one of the ways we build hope in our life, what do I do if I feel hopeless? Maybe I... Maybe I feel hopeless just over a situation. How many of you know I can be hopeful, I can be not depressed, but there's a situation in my life. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's my finances, maybe it's my a condition, medical condition, then that condition makes me feel hopeless when I think about that. And so I just ignore it, right? I pretend it's not happening, or I have some way of, of isolating that. There's some kind of a, a iron curtain, a brick wall, that, that I just don't, I just don't do anything with it because I've lost hope. And Lamentation says this, Jeremiah wrote, I recall to my mind and therefore I have hope. What's he saying? I remember what God did for me. How many of you know what God did for me is a prophetic declaration about what he'll do next time? As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, we, faith and hope and testimonies, they are a corporate garden. They're a community garden. So I can even take what God did for you. How many of you know, in order to have a money, you need a test? I like the money, but I don't like the test. I'm not talking about moaning. I'm talking about money. There's a big difference between moaning and money. Testimony is when God, when I went through a test and God came through. And in um, Revelation says that the testimony of Jesus is the what? Spirit of prophecy, which means whatever he did for you, he'll do for me. Because how many of you know he's no respecter of persons? So testimony. So I, he says, I, I recall to my mind, I remember what God did for me. Or if I don't have a testimony, I remember what God did for you. I can take what God did for you and say, if he did it for you, it's a prophecy for me. It's in, it's history for you. It's a prophecy for me. On our new website that we're going to launch uh, fairly soon, we want to have, we, we, we're developing this 
the sites so that we can have testimonies in categories. So if you, let's say you have um, liver cancer, you can get on the website, put in liver cancer, and all the places, all the times where God has healed liver cancer and other people will come up as testimonies and will be prophecies for you. So that I can recall to my mind, maybe I can't recall you know, what happened in my life in that area because I've never been there before, but I can recall what God did to you and say, I take that for me. And so one of the ways we create that sense of expectation is to remember what God did. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we quote this often. Let me just read it to you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for what? Welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Now, the, the verse is powerful, but the context makes the verse even more powerful. Jeremiah is speaking to the Israelites when they're in Babylon. They have been taken to Babylon because they've been, it's Old Testament. They're being disciplined by God because they've served other gods. And God said, I'm going to take you into Babylon for, for 70 years. I think this verse was written in about the 30th year. So they're not quite halfway through, if you will, their bondage. And Jeremiah, in the midst of their bondage, says, I know the plans I have for you. They're not plans for calamity. But they're plans to give you a future and a hope. It's interesting because he goes on to say, pray for Babylon. Remember, they're in Babylon. They've been capt- become captives in Babylon. They're POWs, if you will. And he says, pray for Babylon, for in their prosperity is your prosperity. How many of you know that if you take a prince and you put him in a prison, he'll make the prison a palace? And Jeremiah says, you know, you can be down, you can be depressed, but God can prosper you. Listen, God has a plan for you. In the middle of this bondage, God has a plan for you to give you a future and a hope. I want to... I have this deep sense, and you've probably heard it in other messages because it's, it's a theme I, I'm on right now. I have a struggle anytime we teach any kind of theology that takes away my children's future and destroys hope for nations. I, I really believe that part of the redemptive nature of Jesus Christ and part of the gospel, which should mean good news is that when I preach it, it should create hope and not hopelessness. It should inspire faith that sees, and it should give you a future and a hope. That's a good word, actually, right there. In, Jer- um, in Psalms thirty-seven seventeen, it says this, A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Now, what's interesting is Proverbs says that the horse is prepared for the day of of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Think about this. The horse is prepared for the for the victory. I'm sorry. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Now, listen to this verse. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Part of the reason why we lose hope is because our hope is in things that we can control. <laughs> our hope... See, I am I'm instructed. The horse is prepared for the day of victory. How many know we're not talking about horses? Even though I have two, and I can tell you, we have supernatural horses. <laughs> oh, I'm dead serious. You feed them... You, you feed one bale of hay, and they poop too. 
they're into multiplication, I'm telling you. And I'm going to figure out some way to make money off of that right there. Uh, fertilizer factory at my house. The horse is prepared for the day of victory. I'm sorry, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Now, this is interesting because we are instructed to prepare ourselves for battle. We are instructed to, for instance, pray. How many of you know that in Matthew 6, it says, Jesus said, God knows what you need before you pray. That's an interesting verse. Next verse. Therefore, pray. Wait a second. If God knows what I need before I pray, why do I pray? For my sake. I pray for my sake. See, I prepare for battle. Why? For my sake. Preparing is good for me. But my hope isn't in my preparation. My hope isn't, isn't in my ability. My hope is in His ability. So one of the reasons why I become hopeless is because I prepare, then I think it's all about me because I'm so prepared. God goes, I want you to be really prepared. But guess what? It isn't going to have anything to do with you winning. I'm like, why am I preparing? It's good for you. It's good for you. It's not directly related to the battle, but it's good for you. Okay. I want you to pray, but I know what you need before you pray. Okay, what do you want me to pray? What you need. Pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you know I need my daily bread? Yes. But I want you to pray for your daily bread. Why? You need to. If I don't pray, you're probably going to get it anyway. But you aren't going to grow like you would if you prepared for battle. <laughs> I struggle with the grace message that takes away personal responsibility. Because I think we co-labor with God. When Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't say, you are finished. <laughs> There's a good word again. Listen to this, Psalm 62, 5. My soul, David wrote, my soul, wait, he's talking to his soul. My soul, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from him. My soul, wait in silence. He's talking to his soul. My soul, listen, my soul, wait in silence for God only. For our hope, soul, our hope, my hope is in God. Prepare for battle. But don't think that's going to give you the victory. (laughs) Get ready. Do everything you can to be ready. But then don't have your hope in what you can do. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> Listen to this. I, I never understood this verse till last night. And maybe Bill preached this or somebody did. I was trying to think if maybe in my subconscious Holy Spirit consciousness that Bill preached this message and I don't know it. And I'm, I'm actually stealing his revelation. But I couldn't think of where he did. So I'm like, okay, it probably is Holy Spirit. I mean, not coming from Bill, probably his Holy Spirit, directly to me. Oh, I, I messed that up. What comes through Bill is Holy Spirit, but I thought, anyway, this is Proverbs, let's just read it. Proverbs thirteen twelve. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. 
Now, this is what I thought the verse meant up until last night. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I thought he was saying, when I hope for something and it doesn't happen, my heart gets sick. That's what I thought he was saying. You know, I, 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 I hope for my finances to be improved so I'm out of debt. And it, man, I've been hoping and hoping and it hasn't happened and my heart's sick. That's what I thought the verse meant. And then I realized that he's not talking about what I hoped for that's deferred. He's talking about the fact that my, I have no hope. He's saying it's the hope that's deferred, not what, it, not what I hope for, but the fact that hope itself is deferred. In other words, because I have no hope, I am heart sick. How many of you know, in order for me to have faith, I have to have hope. I have to have, I don't even look out the front porch to see what, uh, what God has for me. I don't look into the invisible until I have an earnest expectation that something good's supposed to happen to me. So when I stop hoping, when my hope itself is deferred, that's when my heart is sick. It's not, how many of you know that if my finances are bad, but I have a sense that Romans 8.28, for instance, all things work together for good for those who love God. And I mean, it's not just a verse, but it grabs my soul and says, something good is about to happen to you. As long as I have that earnest expectation, I'm waiting on the front porch, I'm saying, something good is about to happen to me. How many know my heart isn't sick, even if I've waited a long time? It's when I've, when my hope is deferred, not when my answer is deferred, that makes me sick. It's really important that I don't lose hope. Because once I lose hope, I stop believing. And when I stop believing, I just stop receiving. Because everything in the kingdom comes by faith. And hope is a seedbed that faith grows in. And faith is the highway to heaven. David, I love, I love David for lots of reasons. Psalms 42.5, David writes this. Why are you in despair, O my soul? (laughs) And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him for the help of his presence. Let me just read it again. Why are you, why are you, why are you despised? I keep wanting to say depressed. Why are you, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again for, his, for the help of his presence. This is awesome. You know, how many of you know that you're tripolar? I mean, you don't even need to be medicated for it. You think, you think tridimensionally. You are a soul, a spirit, you're a spirit, soul, and body. And you, and we're to be spirit led. And this is a great example where David is talking to his soul. If you will, his spirit is talking to his soul. And his soul is, dis- is, is in despair. And he says, spirit to soul, soul, why are you in despair? Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, our hope is in God. My, his spirit is talking, do you understand? He's talking to himself. He's letting the tri-dimensional nature of his being actually encourage him. He's saying to his soul, soul, listen, our spirit is doing fine, soul, so why are you in despair? Hope in God. And now he's not talking about 
hoping in God because of what God did. He's talking about hoping in God because of who God is. Did you get that? He's saying, do you know who God is? Do you know who we, like, who's your daddy? How many of you understand that if you know who your daddy is and you know who you are, then depression and discouragement, anxiety and fear are irrational. And his spirit is saying to his soul, why are you in despair? Have you ever been in despair and you don't know why? See, at least if you have a reason, it feels better. It's like, I didn't make the car payment, I'm in despair. What's really a bummer is when you're in despair and you don't know why. This is one of those seasons where David just feels depressed. And he's like, my soul's depressed, my spirit's fine. And so he takes his soul aside and talks to him. He says, I don't know why you're depressed. Soul, sit right here. I don't know why you're depressed. But we can hope in God. Now, I don't know if you've lost hope in God, but I don't know why you're depressed. I don't know why you're in despair. But hope in God, for surely our hope comes from his presence. How many of you understand thanksgiving is our response to his actions? Praise is our response to his character, his nature. And worship is our response to his presence. So when I, I'm thankful, when I'm thankful, I'm thinking about what he did. When I enter into praise, I'm thinking about why he did it, who he is. And how many know in worship, I'm responding not to his actions or his person. I'm responding, I'm responding to his presence. And there are just times when we need to just take ourselves aside. How many of you know your soul's not bad? In fact, in, in John writes that I pray in all respects that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your what? Soul prospers. I spent three weeks teaching on that here. And even as your soul prospers. One of the ways my soul prospers is my spirit feeds my soul and says to my soul, I don't know what's going on with you, but listen, you need to hope in God. Not hope in the money that your parents said they give you. Not hope in the bonus that you were supposed to get. Not, not hope in the good report the doctor was supposed to give you. Your hope is in God. So don't be, don't despair because you remember who he is. In, in Romans chapter four, that was so much better than your response, by the way. No, no, it's too late. But I hear Bethel TV, they're just cheering like, whoa, messages are being already. And I, I even have this on airport mode. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, why don't you turn there? This is about Abraham. And you'll remember that God gave Abraham promises. The main promise God gave Abraham, you are going to be a father to nations, as we'll read in just a minute. But Abraham's got a problem, and that is, he don't have any kids. It's a little bit hard to be father to nations when you don't have one kid. So it says this in chapter 4, verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations. 
How many of you know that Abraham was not supposed to be the father of Israel? He was to be the father of many nations. Selah. No, no, don't say law. Say law means think about it. He might be so he might be the father of many nations. I have to read it all over again. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now, by the way, so shall your descendants be isn't the whole verse. It was this was so shall your descendants be was a part of that of that conversation he was having with God. And God says, come out here. Remember, he's he doesn't have any kids. And God goes, come out here and look at the stars of the sky. You see the stars of the sky? Yeah, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Okay, now it's morning and now there's light. So see, let's go out to the let's go out to the desert. See all the sand? Yes, that's how many children you're going to have. So shall your descendants be is the response of see those stars, see that sand. And that's one reason I believe that the world is going to go on for quite a bit longer, because there's a lot of sand and there's a lot of stars. But I will say this. If God comes back tomorrow, I am ready. I am ready for God to come back right now. Okay, he didn't. So right now, I'm still ready. But I have a vision for a thousand years from now. So if he doesn't come back for a thousand years, I'm still got a vision, a hope and a future for my children's 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 children. Okay, let me finish this, please. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, um, now not... For this, for his sake only, was it written that it was credited to him as righteousness, but for our sakes also, to whom it will be credited as all those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over because of our transgressions, and he was raised because of our justification. Now, here's what it's saying. It's saying that Abraham, okay, um, let's just get back to this and we'll be discreet, especially that we're streaming. So Abraham has this promise that him and Sarah are going to be fathers and mothers, if you will, of nations. But they got a problem. They have no kids. Now, Abraham is a hundred years old and Sarah is 90. How many of you know she's past menopause? And Abraham cannot produce children because of his age. It says he contemplated his own body as dead. In other words, he thought through the fact that the, the promise that God give, gave him is impossible in that his body is dead. He's not saying he's, he lived to be like 130. He's not saying he's dead in the sense that he's going to die in a minute. He's saying he's dead in the sense that he cannot perform, nor can Sarah, to bring forth children. Are you with me? In other words, his hope cannot be in him and Sarah because they are past childbearing time. But it says he thought about it. And even though he even though he considered himself dead in his ability to bring forth the promise, he still believed. Are you with me? 
In other words, there's a big difference between living in denial and living in faith. Denial doesn't contemplate the fact that I am dead. It do- doesn't balance the checkbook. It doesn't go to the doctor. Faith is, there's no such thing as blind faith. Faith sees. Denial is blind. If I can't look at the problem, don't call it faith. Say, I'm afraid. Say, I'm, a scare- I'm scared to look. I'm a scared. Say, I'm scared to look. But don't call it faith. Because faith can look at the facts and then still believe the truth. When Nehemiah was called to rebuild the wall, we did a series on Nehemiah a few months ago. Nehemiah is called to rebuild the wall. What's the first thing he does? He surveys the problem. And he says to the officials, do you see the trouble we are in? How many of you know that faith can look at the trouble and still hang on to the promise? That's such a good word. Hmm. I love this. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.2 We give thanks to God always for all of you or for y'all making mention of you in our prayers constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. Everybody say work of faith. Isn't it interesting? Isn't faith and work not supposed to go together? Your work of faith your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God the Father. Knowing, beloved by God, His choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, full of conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. I love this though. The work of faith. Remember Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13? Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You'll find over and over those three work together. He said, your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. And how many know that you need all three of those working together? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. We're, we're getting close to being done. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Everybody say, confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. One of the ways we cultivate hope is to confess our hope. We, we talk to ourselves and other people about the hope we have. So how do we develop hope in ourselves? First of all, I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. I remember what God did for you, what he did for me, and it cultivates hope. Are you with me? I remember who God is and the nature of God, and I, it cultivates hope. And now he says, I confess that I have hope in God. When somebody says to me, you can't have children, you're past the time. I say, I understand that. I agree with you. I understand the facts. I'm not ignorant that this is a bad situation. But my hope is not in the horse, even though I prepared the best I could for battle. My, my hope is in the Lord. I'm actually hoping in the Lord. And that's why I'm out on the porch and I'm looking so that I can have faith. Because hope feels that faith sees. Two more scriptures. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. I love that. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope 
completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that when you look at today's, when you look at tomorrow's challenges with today's grace, it's overwhelming? When you look at tomorrow's challenges, especially if you're going from faith to faith, how many of you know that if you're going from faith to faith, it means you'll need it? If I'm going from grace to grace, from glory to glory, and from faith to faith, if I'm growing, then today's grace isn't enough for tomorrow. So when I look at tomorrow's challenge with today's grace, I'm overwhelmed. So Peter says, gird your mind for action. Okay, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to, you're supposed to fix your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you. In other words, I'm thinking tomorrow needs this much grace and I'm only living in this much. But hope says it'll be there when you need it. It'll be there when you get there. Some of you are like, you know, I set that. So let's do that. I have five minutes. Because, you know, when you're in heavenly places, you're in outside of time. So I have to do this so I can stay with you. Yeah. That was a joke. Some of you, you know, you're like, ah, you know, we're not ready to have children. You won't be. Ever. And by the way, I do understand there, there are reasons to wait. But I'm simply saying, you can wait forever and you'll never be ready for children. Because you don't get grace for children until you have them. I don't know if I'm ready to be married. I understand that there is some maturity that has to happen and there are things you have to learn. So did everyone hear me say that? You will never be ready to marry. Nobody's ready to die. And if you're a man, you're on a death march to a life camp. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. I'm just not ready. I don't know if I'm ready. Listen, baby, you ain't getting married if you're waiting to be ready. There'll be grace brought to you. <laughs> when you get up on that cross and lay down your life for that woman. And it'll all be worth it. And we'll talk about that in another session. First John 3, I'll end with this verse and, and just tell you a quick story. First John 3, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. I love this part. This is my favorite part. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. <laughs> That's such a crazy verse. What are you? I'm a child of God. What's going to happen when you get to heaven? I don't know what we'll be. I think I'm going to be in charge of some planets, though. My fear is they won't be inhabited. <laughs> like, you're over this universe. I'm like, there doesn't seem to be any life there. I need someone I can control. Can you just put Banny in there? Just let me be in charge of Banning for a couple billion years. 
That'll be okay. Beloved. <laughs> Danny. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know this. When He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him. No, let me see. I paused at the wrong place. <laughs> no comment there. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. How many know you can't punish people into purity, but you can hope them into it? Oh, you didn't get that. Okay. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What hope? The hope that when we see him, we'll be like him. The heavenly hope that we have that someday we're going to be with him. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. How many of you know you cannot punish people into purity? The law doesn't make anybody pure. But you can hope them into it. You can create such a hope that people purify themselves in God. It's so important that we don't lose hope. How many of you know that fear is faith in the wrong God? That fear is faith. See, the reason I feel afraid is because I believe that something's about to go wrong. In other words, hopeless, hopeless is actually hope in the wrong God. I'm actually thinking something is moving, moving me towards destruction or I'm going to be out of control, or something bad's going to happen to me, or we're going to lose our house, or whatever. I am actually have an earnest expectation, but it's that something is going to go wrong. So I can always measure how much faith I have by how much fear I have. Now all I have to do is get that faith turned towards the right God and remind myself of whose I am and who He is. I want you to stand. I want to pray for you. You know, sometimes I, I laid on a couch five years ago for six months in complete and total hopelessness. I've never known hopelessness in my life, and I've had a pretty tough childhood and had some pretty bad things happen to me. I'm not saying I've had the worst life ever. Every time you think you've had the worst life ever, you find someone with the worst one, and we're in no competition for who had it bad, the worst. But But I've never actually been depressed, and depression comes directly from having no hope. And people, I think sometimes when you're hopeless, they avoid you because they think they're supposed to give you an answer instead of give you hope. See, faith sees, but hope feels. And sometimes I think I have to tell you how this is all going to work out for you to have hope, and actually I just have to remind you that this will work out. And so I had friends that called me 
often, uh, two, two or three of them called me almost every single week or every single week. Some of them called me several times a week. And they would say, how you're doing? And I would say, oh, my soul was in despair. My soul was in despair. And all they would say to me, you know, they would ask me how I'm doing, da, da, da. Maybe we'd talk through something, some fear I have or whatever. But this is the main thing that those three or four people did for me for six months. They reminded me that this too shall pass. They didn't know how. They didn't know when. But they knew it would. And they didn't give me faith. They gave me hope. And when they gave me hope, I began to see. Are you with me? They gave me hope. And my son was went through something similar. As you know, he went through a divorce. And he would be in, he would have just days of just despair where he didn't want to get out of bed. And he would come over my house and he would just be, you know what it looks like when someone's in deep despair. And I would take him by the shoulders. Sometimes I would hold him by the face. And I would say, look in my eyes. You will love again. You will not live like this forever. When, Dad? Who, Dad? I don't know. I don't have faith yet, but I have hope. Because I know who we serve. I know his nature. I know his character. I don't know the plan, but I know it's, uh, but I know this. Whatever it is, it's going to give you a future. And it's going to give you a, it's going to give you a hope. And he'd look at me and he'd say, it doesn't feel true. I'd say, it is. And I would tell him that probably at least once a week. I'd say, look in my eyes. You were love again. You will live again. And little by little, I began to see twinkle, twinkle, a little star. <laughs> and over, over a period, I, I'd like to say, you know, I suddenly, it didn't happen suddenly. It happened over, over a period of months where over and over, and hope against hope, and over and over, just speaking into his life, and over and over, people speaking into my life, they, you know, they began to give me a sense all they were doing is changing the expectation I had. Are you with me? Sometimes you don't know the answer, but you know the answerer. You don't know the answer. And people are like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And you're like, I don't want to get close to them because I don't know how it's going to work out either. And actually, you don't need to know how. If you know, if you have some sense, that's fine. But if you haven't seen, you still have hope. You, you, you're like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And you're like, I, you know, I need to tell them it's all going to be okay. You know, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know this. I know it's going to work out for your benefit because of who you are and whose you are. I don't have a prophetic word for everybody. I don't know the end oftentimes, but I do know who is in charge of the end. And therefore, I can hope not in my circumstances, not in how it's going to work out, but who is working it out. Would you put your hand on your heart, please? God, I just release right now hope. And I know many of you didn't stand up and because you have hope, so I pray for more hope. I pray that you would be hope-filled, hopeful. You'd be have so much hope, you'd have leftover for everyone else. People could come over your house and eat hope. And get filled. They could be hope-filled, hopeful. 
I pray for people who are watching by iBethel TV and overflow rooms. Wherever you're at in your life, if you feel discouraged, maybe you're like David and you're like, soul, why are you in despair? And you just need to take yourself by the lapel. I don't actually know what a lapel is, but whatever it is, it's up here somewhere because Bill always does this when he says lapel. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that you would be full of hope. You would be hope-filled. And everyone who feels hopeless or low on hope or you're just barely hanging on with hope, I pray right now that hope would be released in you and you would know it because you'd go out to the front, you'd go out the front porch and you begin to look. You begin to say, I don't have faith yet, but I have an expectation that I'm about to see something I've never seen before because I have a hope I've never had before. So I release that over you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.